0: Father, as we wrestle with life in the world, in all its perplexities, in all its sufferings, its disappointments, we pray, Lord, that you would help us now by your prophet Habakkuk to know what it is to live by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some people have felt that Habakkuk comes on a bit strong to God in his prayer. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Habakkuk's prayer can just as well be read and understood to be an honest, heartfelt lament, An expression of confusion. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not answer? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. It can be easily understood as this rather than an angry demand for God to explain himself. But either way, Habakkuk's grief is a common one amongst believers. Why does the just, holy, almighty God tolerate evil in his creation. Habakkuk himself seemed surrounded by, overwhelmed by evil and injustice. Destruction and violence are before me, he says. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted." Now, we live in a time and a place of comparative order and safety and justice. It's only comparative. There is disorder, there is danger, and there is injustice. But Habakkuk seems really disturbed by the free hand that violent, corrupt people had in his society. We don't get much indication when Habakkuk lived, but... The mention in chapter 1, verse 6, that the Babylonians are coming is a big help. Habakkuk probably lived during the reign of a king like Jehoiakim uh, and perhaps some of the other kings who reign in the lead up to the Babylonian invasions of Judah. We're talking 620 to 587 BC, somewhere in that time. 587 BC is when the Babylonians did come and did sack Jerusalem. The book of Habakkuk is a kind of dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And the issues at stake are how long, as we've heard, until God acts to save the righteous from the wicked? Uh, Also at stake is why does God tolerate wrongdoing at all? And there's another question are the powerful and evil rulers of the world going to dominate forever? Habakkuk asks all these questions. God only answers the last of them. Habakkuk is presented with the challenge of living by faith in a world where things can, and sometimes, perhaps frequently, do go from bad to worse, and explanations are not forthcoming. So today, what I want to look at is Habakkuk's dialogue with God in chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk, which we've had read, and then think about where this leaves both Habakkuk and us. So let's look firstly at Habakkuk's dialogue with God. Habakkuk 1 and 2 falls into four parts. Uh, There's verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, Habakkuk's first prayer, and then in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 1, we get God's response to Habakkuk's first prayer. I then Habakkuk prays again in one twelve to 2:1 and then the Lord responds again in chapters uh, chapter 2 verses 2 to 20. And we've heard already that first prayer, how long O Lord must I call for help and you do not listen. I was talking with a friend on Friday who has done it tough for the last 2 years. Things for him have seen to go in many ways from bad to worse, and he said, "None of my prayers have been answered." He's a praying fellow. Believes in Jesus. None of my prayers have been answered. This was his lament, his feeling, and you may, may relate to this experience that both Habakkuk and my friend has. Habakkuk complains about God's silence, God's inaction, but then God speaks. In verses 5 to 11, Habakkuk gets an answer, but this divine word only increases Habakkuk's puzzlement and dismay. For what does the Lord say? Verse 5 of chapter 1, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. The corrupt and violent local wrongdoers that Habakkuk is complaining about will be dealt with by an invasion of still more ruthless and violent people. It's as if you were praying to God, Oh God, how long must I cry out to you about my terrible boss? and the way she lets all the nastiness run riot at work. And the Lord answered, don't worry about that. Your company is about to be taken over by aggressive competitors, and you'll all be sacked in months. It's as if you prayed, oh Lord, how long will these rats infest my house? And the Lord replied, well, the rats will be dealt with when the bikies burn down your house next week. Here come the babylonians their hordes says god advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand they mock kings and scoff at rulers they laugh at all fortified cities by building earth and ramps they capture them then they sweep past like the wind and go on guilty people whose own strength is their god So no answer to the how long question or to the why do you tolerate wrongdoing question. God's answer only makes Habakkuk more bewildered and troubled. And so we get this um, from Habakkuk's second prayer in verse 13. He says to God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And then Habakkuk paints this dark picture of history, saying to God, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad little people of the world, that's most of us, are just there for the taking by these ruthless emperors and generals. And so Babylon is just the next wicked foe to rise up. And the armies of Babylon are like a net which bags the king of Babylon treasure and bodies galore. And he rejoices and lives well. And we we all suffer and die. Habakkuk's last question is, is he? this king of Babylon, to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. Is history like, you know, the game of thrones? Is life driven simply by a will to power? Is might right? Habakkuk is resolved to wait for an answer. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint? And again, the Lord answers, and his answer is longer and in three parts. In the first part, the Lord says that the answer that he gives is to be published. It's to be public, and it speaks of the end. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation, and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So, this answer that God is going to give will not prove true immediately, but its time will come. The second part of God's answer describes the wicked. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, he is arrogant. And never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples but then the third part of the answer is a set of five woes now i've omitted the fourth woe so you might think four five i thought there was only four there are four printed but god promises that these woes will come upon the wicked that uh, verse 6, will not all of them, that is all the peoples who have been uh, tormented and taken captive by this king, will not all of them taunt him, this fallen king, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods, who makes himself wealthy by extortion. Or verse 9, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Or verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town By injustice. Or verse 19 Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. In these woes, we get the message that it's a big mistake, actually, to treat justice as something optional. To think that morality is a kind of con job for the weak. To think that you can build a lasting, peaceful prosperity by theft by exploitation by manipulation to think that we can call divine powers into our lives to serve our ambitions which is what the idolater does it says to the block of wood wake up and give me your power wake up and serve my ambition but this is not the way things go between god and human beings we are called by god to wake up and serve his his purposes but the truth is that God's world, so it says these words, God's world has justice built into it. The stones of the wall of the wicked person's house, built on extortion and theft, the stones of that wall will cry out against the owner of that house. The beams of the woodwork will echo it. There's something in the very nature of things that is bent against. The, unjust. the truth is that ultimately, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The truth is that, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So the answer that Habakkuk does get is that in the end, woe will land on the head of the wicked. However, Habakkuk does not get answers to two other questions he has asked. The how long, O Lord, must I call for help question does not receive an answer. There is no timeline for the destruction of the wicked given. Instead, for chapter 2, verse 3, the revelation awaits an appointed but not specified time. The second question, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing does not get an answer either. God does not explain why injustice has this temporary footing in the world. And so then let's turn our minds to where this leaves Habakkuk and where it leaves us. A neat way to say what it is that we are called then to do, what Habakkuk is called to do, is to say the righteous... Will live by faith. That's uh, chapter 2, verse 4, I think. Life can be bad, and it can go from bad to worse. This is a hard truth. And you can probably think of many examples of where, in your own life or in the life of those you know, life has been bad and has got worse. And this can happen through no fault of your own. It can happen, as it was happening to Habakkuk and his people, through the greed and ruthlessness of faraway people, people who don't even know you. Now, to live by faith is to trust what God has said about this situation, that woe will come upon the wicked, and that the Lord is in his holy temple, and that he will fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory in the end. This may not seem Obvious, may not seem very likely. You cannot see how this could come about. But to live by faith is to keep a firm hold of these promises. To live by faith is also to be faithful to God and his ways, not to go over to faithlessness. There are the faithless who despair of God. How can we believe? They say, how can we trust when life is as it is? If God exists, he has failed the world. And so I reject him. It's the kind of faithlessness of despair, despairing of God. There's another kind of faithlessness, the faithlessness of those who despise God. Life is great without God. Look at what you can get if you leave your scruples behind and deploy your strength. Whatever your talents are, put them to work for your own prosperity. Don't worry too much about God or morality because those things, they're just going to hamper you getting to the great place you could go. Who dares wins. This is also faithlessness. Faithlessness. These faithless approaches to God and to life, they can be hard to resist because you can feel let down by God. Where was God when I called? Why did God put me through all that? We can also feel like God is holding us back. Why should I deny myself this or that? Why does God want that for me? Why can't I just... Go after what I want. But the call of God is to be faithful to him. As the the new NIV, the translation we have printed, says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. To live by faith is to keep faith with God, to stay true to him and to his ways, to the words of his prophets and apostles. Believing that this is truly the right way to live. It's truly the right thing to believe. It's truly the right promise to hold to. The way that's most in line with the reality of the world, which is, in the end, God's world. One last observation. Habakkuk uh, 2.14 matches Isaiah 11.9. They both say, For the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. But that quotation, when it appears in Isaiah 11, that's in a famous passage about the Messiah, about the Christ, about Jesus. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And because of the transformation he brings upon the world, the wolf will live with the lamb. For the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Besides Babylonian hordes, history has also thrown up Jesus of Nazareth, a figure whose powerful appeal continues to endure, someone who continues to speak To people's minds and hearts and lives, of whom God says, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. To live by faith in God is to live by faith in Jesus Christ, to keep faith with him. The living and dying, the rising and reigning and returning King of God's kingdom, the one through whom the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So, shall we pray? God may teach us in all our perplexity to live by faith in his Son. Let's pray. Father, when we look around, we do see so much, so much suffering, so much perplexity, so much agony, so many people going even from bad to worse and we know this ourselves and we have these questions that Habakkuk has how long and why and will it always be this way so help us Lord to listen to your word that you say no there will be woe for the wicked there will be salvation for those who live by faith in you and so we pray Lord that you would teach us to hold on to these promises that you would teach us how to live keeping faith with you, keeping faith with you and with your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his intervention in our world and history in the way that he, he is a down payment, a promise and the foundation for all that we hope for, that the earth will be filled with your glory just as the waters cover the sea. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.